Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today, and good to see you people online. Glad to have you all here. All of us know that Jesus is always with us. He lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. But there is a passage of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, that says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Jesus is trying to tell us something. This is coming right out from his own mouth. And he's not just saying that, you know, you have me inside of you. But he says something special happens when even two or three of you gather together in my name. And I was thinking about that this week. And maybe a picture that came to my mind is the old-fashioned bank safety deposit boxes where you had a key and the bank had a key and you had to put both keys in in order to access the contents. And to me, there's something special that happens when even two believers get together because they both have a key and they unlock something. And we as gathered together in Jesus' name, we're unlocking something together that Jesus promised would happen. And in this particular passage of scripture, just the verse before the one I just quoted, it says, again, I say to you, if two of you will agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. And so he's telling us that even in prayer when we ask for things, if we will agree together about what we're asking for, we're using our keys to unlock something that he says is a dynamic that will happen when we do pray because his special manifest presence will be there. And if it's praying for a person, if we will touch that person, if the two people will be in agreement even just to lay hands on that person, something's going to happen. And so then as I was thinking about that, I thought about the process that Jesus took when he sent out his disciples to do the same work he was doing after he had mentored them. And he sent them out. He sent the 12 out two by two. And he sent the 72 out two by two. He didn't send them out alone. He, sent, he made sure that two were together because two could unlock the special presence of God that is manifest. And when they came back to Jesus, they said, you wouldn't believe what happened when we went out. The sick were healed, the demon-possessed were set free, and the kingdom of God was preached. They were amazed at what happens. Let's pray together and let's agree that God's going to do something special here today as we gather in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who is right here in our midst as he promised. And we agree together, Lord, to ask you that your special presence would be here today to minister to every single person who walks into this room. Lord, we ask you not only to give us unity of heart and spirit as we worship you, but we thank you for ministering to those who have come into this room today and are joining us online who have come with needs, and we know that you're going to minister to those needs. You're going to speak to their hearts. You're going to touch them. And that is what we're asking for together, Lord, that you would help us today to keep our eyes on you and give us breakthroughs, we ask, in our own personal lives and together as a body of believers. And we're asking all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
that you've even gone to win my war and you come back with the head of my enemy and you come back and you call it my victory
Great is your faithfulness. 
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness.
seated. Let's dismiss the kids at this time. Teens are staying with us today. You got to put up with me today. Amen. It's going to have to. Have you ever um, gone to a party and been dressed inappropriately? Like you didn't wear the right clothing to it. Like that's what I feel like today. I feel like you guys are praising God and I feel like this is just a positive moment and then I'm going to preach this sermon. So I apologize up front. Um, but in October of this year, God gave me this word for this church. And he didn't give me the freedom to preach it until this week. And I'll also share with you, when you put um, the word of God out, there's often spiritual battle. And I have just been at war with the devil all week long. Like, it's just been a struggle. I, I almost called Pastor Mark and said, why don't you preach today? I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to stay home and just take it easy, maybe watch some football. Is there football on? 
I just want to know who's in sin. So I just want to set you up. This message today is, um, well, I'll say it this way. I have, we, we have 52 opportunities to preach the word of God at New Life on Sunday mornings. And this is not one that I would choose for a Sunday morning. So if you're new to, to Christianity or you're not a Christian, uh, maybe you're new to the church, um, this is for you, but not really for you. This is for the rest of us. So you'll get something from it, I, I know, but I just, I just feel like I need to throw that warning out there that, that if you're new to this, this might be a little bit heavy for you. So welcome to New Life. I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're going to have fun. Well, I'm going to have fun because I already know what God said. So, but let's, could we pray? Could we, could we stand for a moment and just, just kind of take in that moment of worship that we gave to God and I felt like it was just a pleasing um, aroma to God, what he was hearing from your hearts. I think he likes it when you get excited about him and you shout it out and you share it when you're noisy and obnoxious. I love you guys. I'm not that way at football games. I'm not that way in church. So just, but if you are, go for it. There we go. Let's, let's pray. Father, I want this to be the right one for you. That your people might hear from you today. And maybe recognize themselves in the truth. Positively and even if it's negative, Lord God. Because we know that we can come to you with a repentant heart. If we humble ourselves in your sight, you'll lift us up. And I don't even know, this, this might be bigger to me than it is to you. But I want them to know you better today. Because I believe that you want to move in this community. And I believe that you're at work in this community. But I believe we can get in the way of what you're doing. And I don't want to be that. So open our hearts to your word. Open our hearts to your spirit. And speak to us clearly. That we may honor you with our hearts. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Y'all may be seated. There are many personal heroes that I have in the Bible. I love Noah. Noah didn't understand all that God was saying, but he obeyed God for 120 years. I love that. He didn't need to know everything. He just needed to know what God said for him to do, and he just did it. He just trusted God. Some of you would think that was stupid. I think that's what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by it, the elders obtained a good report, the earlier Christians. I love Moses. Moses... Turned 80, Verlin. (laughs) And then he got to lead a complaining, unhappy, unruly, whiny people. And he did it. 
and he only screwed up one time and it impacted his eternity. He got taken away from the promised land. He didn't get to see the promised land. But he did get to see Jesus. I love Joshua. Joshua took the children of these rebellious people and led them into the promised life, the promised land. I love David, who was treated unfairly. David was treated unfairly, but he didn't take things into his own hands. He let God take care of it. That's a hero to me. There's Peter, who said stupid things at inappropriate times, but was the rock of the church. I'm going to say that one more time because I love Peter so much because I can identify with that. He said stupid things at inappropriate times, but was the rock of the early church. I want to be that guy who gets excuses for his stupidity, but is the rock of the church. I want to be Paul, who fought the church before he got saved, but after he got saved, he fought for the church. I can identify with that because there was a time that I used to fight my wife about going to church, and she just prayed and worshiped and let God fight her battles with me. Ladies, if you want to win, that's the way it works. First Peter chapter 3, but we're not going to go there. I, Gideon's a hero to me, who we've been studying for the last three months. Gideon had nothing and was nothing, but he did something by faith in God. He took 300 men and destroyed an army of 120,000. That's cool. I want to be that guy. See, when my story is written, I would love for it to be said that I was one of these men, not the other guys, which is what we're going to talk about today. The other guys are the guys no one wants to be, but the Bible still talks about them. But we don't talk about them a lot because we like to talk about the heroes, not the haters. But I don't want to be that guy. In our passage in Judges chapter 6, the children of Israel were worshiping false gods. And through Gideon, Gideon called them out to repentance. That was last week's sermon. And whenever God calls us to repentance, there's always going to be a fight. How many times has God called you to repent of sin and you've said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm 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 to fight. I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to change. Am I the only one? Am I the only Peter in the room? But whenever God calls us to, to draw closer to him, whenever God calls us to leave sin, whenever God calls us to renounce idolatry, we fight it. We just reject it. We turn it away. We, we don't want to repent of sins that God calls us out on. Judges chapter 6 and verse 29, Gideon had just destroyed the false gods. He cut down the grove, the place of worship. And they offered an offering unto God for forgiveness of sins. And the Bible starts in verse 29. Judges chapter 6 verse 29. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? They being the men who are worshiping false gods. Who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town, the guys I don't want to be, the men of the town, said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asheroth beside it. He's torn down our false gods. 
But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down, which is a sermon for another day, which is actually next week. We're going to deal with that passage there. But the men of the town didn't want to repent of their sin and wanted to kill the man of God. I don't want to be that guy. Let's just make that perfectly clear. I don't want to be that guy. Who when the history is recorded about how we lived on this earth and how we related to a holy God, I don't want to be that guy that's been written bad things about. I don't want to be that guy in the church that the Bible speaks negatively about. The guy who's viewed as an enemy. The guy who's never remembered well in history. The funny thing is, is they never think they're that guy. In fact, they think they're the heroes of the Bible. When the reality is they're just helping false gods stay in place. See, the Bible is a history of humanity and how humans related to a holy God in history. And while the Bible is not still being written, the stories of how we relate to a holy God are. My story is still being written. How do I know that? Because I'm still alive. When I'm dead, you can stop writing it. Because it's going to be, I'm going to be in heaven and we'll be with Jesus and it won't be about me, it'll be about him, right? But there's plenty to write about on how we relate to a holy God. And I chose some men and some women in the Bible that really spoke to me, people in the church that I never want to be. Welcome to New Life. Relax. I never want to be Korah. I never want to be Korah. Korah was one of the priests of God. Some say he was a leader of worship. In fact, his children wrote a bunch of psalms, so they wrote songs. But he got tired of being under the authority of Moses and sought equality. And the Bible says this in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 3. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Literally saying, who do you think you are? Now, this is a similar statement that Satan made in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 14, where he said, where Satan said, I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. He sought equality with God. And so Korah then sowed discord among the brethren. He's which God hates sowing discord among the brethren. And it led God to, through Moses, issue a challenge to prove who was anointed and who was disjointed, who was just bent out of shape. Because usually that's what happens. You just get bent out of shape. So you seek something that's not yours. Now, the result was God wanted to destroy all the people of Israel. He just says, you know what, Moses, get out of the way. I'm just going to kill them all. You don't want to make God that angry. Amen? I mean, that, that's, that, that's God saying, listen, I've called you to be a holy people, and you're not acting holy. But Moses, being a man of God, begged God not to kill him. And you, you better hope that you've got pastors in your life that beg God not to kill you when you screw up. I can tell we're really happy about this sermon. I told you that I wrestled with it all week. 
The result was for Korah and, and those who followed him, 250 leaders of Israel and their families all got swallowed up by the earth. I never want to be that guy who thinks I'm something that God has not anointed. I never want to be that guy. I want to be careful. I never want to be that guy who fights against the guy that God has put in place. I'll just give you an illustration. God is, whether you like this truth or not, and whether this generation can handle it or not, biblically, God has given the man the responsibility to lead his family. And yet, how many of you ladies say, we're equal? Not, that's not how God organized his families. That men have a responsibility to lead their families in Christ. I can tell you're really enjoying this. I'm glad that you showed up today. Come back next week. We'll talk about idols again. (laughs) You just fight against the people that God has put in place. You're always fighting somebody who God has anointed that you say, you know, I don't like that. I want to be equal. God chooses who he exalts and who he doesn't. I don't want to be that guy that because of the fight that I have loses my family to God's wrath. See, I'm just going to be very honest with you. I do have a very healthy fear of God. Because I know who he is and what he's about. He is a holy, righteous God who disciplines his children. And sometimes we have to be disciplined a little bit harshly because we won't listen to what he's trying to lead us to do. See, you're not fighting against men, you're fighting against God. I don't want to be that guy that when I get to heaven, he says, why were you fighting against me? I did this, I did that, I did that, but you fought against it the whole time. I organized this, I set it up. I never want to be that guy. I don't want to be a Korah. I never want to be an Ahab. I said Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 9 through, through chapter 19. Now Ahab was an evil Israelite king. And here's what the Bible says about him. I, I love what the scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Like this is the worst of the worst. Three verses later it says, And Ahab made an Asheroth or, or a place of false worship. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the other kings of Israel that were before him. This was a messed up dude. I don't want to be that guy that God says, you've done worse than everybody before you. And you've made me madder than anybody else that has ever been alive. That's what the scripture's teaching. Now Ahab was married to a woman by the name of Jezebel. Please do not call your daughters Jezebel. Jezebel hated authority, especially biblical authority, and she actually went out and had tried to get all of the prophets of God killed in the nation of Israel. I'll put it to you this way. She never liked any pastor that she had. But they had an adversary, a man of God named Elijah. 
And they fought with him over and over and over again. So if you read this, this passage of scripture, you're going to see them fighting with Elijah. Elijah is one of my heroes, which I didn't mention, but I, there's a reason why I didn't mention him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And Ahab got upset at the preacher's message and went home and whined to his wife. That preacher's mean. <laughs> Calls out my sin and I don't like it. So Jezebel sought to defend her husband against Elijah and threatened to kill him, to destroy him. Now this threat had the desired result causing Elijah to want to quit the ministry and commit suicide. I'm going to say that one more time. The man of God got so discouraged by this woman of Ahab, this wife of Ahab, that he went home, or he went home, he went into a cave and said, I just would rather... Just quit doing what I'm doing. Because I've been faithful to you, and I've, I've, I've obeyed you, God, and I've stood up to the enemies of God, and I've fought for you, and this is what I get. Some Jezebel woman wanting to kill me. And he said, I'd rather just die. Just, just, just kill me. I'd rather be done than have to continue on doing ministry. I never want to be that guy. Now, his prophetic message came true, and, and uh, Jezebel and Ahab ended up being killed in a horrific fashion, because that's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of the Old Testament how it works. I just kind of love it, but. <laughs> I never want to be that guy who whines to my wife and won't repent of my sin. I don't want to be who's, uh, that guy whose wife has to fight his battles for him. I'm going to say it one more time just because I don't want that to be missed. I don't want to be that guy whose wife fights his battles for him. I never want to be that guy whose actions discourage man of God to the point to where he wants to quit or even commit suicide. And if you're a pastor in the room, you know there have been times where somebody in the church has made you want to quit doing the work of the ministry. And some of maybe you've gone so far that you've wanted to just end it. You've just said to God, I've, I've been faithful to you. I've served you. But this is the kind of people that you've given me. Just Let's just end it. I never want to be that guy who's recorded in history that causes a pastor who loves God and who wants to serve God and who wants to serve you and will sacrifice his life for you. To want to just get out and say, I'm done. This is crazy. I never want to be that guy. I never want to be a Judas. I never want to be a Judas. The Bible says this about Judas. There was a, a woman who came to Jesus and she poured this expensive ointment as an act of worship upon his feet. And he got all upset because he was the treasurer and wanted to keep the money for, wanted her to sell it so he could keep the money for himself. Let me just give you the scripture. John 12, 6 says, he said this saying, why was this waste of this worship? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. Can I just tell you something? Jesus knew that Judas was a thief and still let him take care of the money. That's how much Jesus didn't care about the money, but he cared about Judas. 
Now, this was an early sign of Judas's heart that while he was protesting Jesus' actions of allowing a woman to perform an act of spiritual worship upon him, he was judgmental. This woman poured out her, her, her worship on him, but it wasn't the, the way that Judas thought it should be done. So Judas began to judge her and say, she should have given that money to the poor, which he didn't care about the poor. He just cared about himself. And this experience of, 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 of judgment began to change Judas's heart towards Jesus, who was the man of God, by the way, at this time. John chapter 13, 2, the Bible says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, it changed his heart, and the devil got a hold of him and began to change his heart towards Jesus to where he would betray him. Well, Jesus had, be, had to be betrayed as the fulfillment of prophecy, don't get me wrong. And he had to die to fulfill the promise of forgiveness. I never want to be that guy that Jesus chooses to betray himself. So heavy was the weight of this betrayal that Judas went out and hung himself because he couldn't live with himself. Judas was used by Satan to try to defeat God's plan, but he only delivered God's promise. But I still don't want to be that guy. I never want to be the guy whose heart changes towards the things of God. I never want to be that guy whose heart challenges the way people worship Jesus. You want to be careful of thinking that you're a faithful disciple when, when in reality you're a Judas. I never want to be that guy whose heart condemns itself because he listened to Satan and not to Jesus. I never want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy. I never want to be Ananias. You say, how many of these guys do you have? There's a bunch of them. Ananias and his wife Sapphira were members of the early church formed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And as the church began to grow and develop, reach more people, the necessity of financial support became a reality. And there were pastors who were doing ministry and there were widows who were needing help financially. And there were people who were just struggling with, with their, their finances at the time. So people began to give, not just tithes, but great offerings. They sold houses and lands and laying that money at the feet of the uh, apostles at the church. And one of their best givers was named Barnabas. Barnabas uh, became a great church planner. And watching Barnabas give motivated them to give. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, watch it on the wall. This, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's the guy I want to be. I want to be the guy that the pastors of the church say, that guy is an encouragement. Every time he does something, he does something that's encouraging to me. I love Barnabas. I love that guy. I love him. He's the son of consolation in the King James. I just love that saying. He just consoles me. He just comforts me. He just encourages me. That's how the pastors knew him. And, and I want to be that guy. But that's also who Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be. They wanted to be recognized the, the way that, uh, and, that uh, Barnabas was. So they sold some property and gave it to the church, but they told the church they gave all the money from the sale of the money, but they, from the land, but the truth is they didn't, which wasn't a big deal to keep back part because this was an offering, not a tithe. It wasn't 10%, it was more. It was what they were giving out of love. And they said they loved more than they really did is really what, how it comes down to it. And Peter tells them this in Acts chapter five and verse three. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part, yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is this that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I never want to be that guy that Satan fills my heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, saying that I'm something and I'm not. I'm just going to say that one more time. I never want to be that guy that says that I'm something when I'm not. When I'm lying to the Holy Spirit. I never want to be that guy that encourages my wife to lie so we both die. That means that Ananias and Sapphira sat down at home and had a conversation. Let's, what do we do with the money? Well, one of them said, well, let's give it all. And the other one said, well, why don't we just keep some back and say that we gave it all? I'm sure that was the wife that said that. But I don't want to be the guy to let my wife says that instead of saying, no, this is what we're going to do. I can tell you're having fun with this today. I never want to be that guy that becomes the example of the church of what not to do. Let me just give you the verse. Acts 5.11, and great fear came upon the whole church, upon all who heard these things. Because God said, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed Ananias and Sapphira on the spot. Could you imagine if the truth of your heart became re real to us, and you just died right now? Amen. <laughs> that should have made some of you jump. I just don't want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy. I'm not saying you're that guy. I'm saying you could be that guy and don't be that guy. Don't want to be that guy. Though it worked out in the end, I never want to be John Mark. Now, John Mark's story is good and bad. He was the nephew of Barnabas who got excited about the work of ministry and found out quickly how difficult it is. And that happens all the time. People just say, I want to serve God. And then you get into the ministry and you're like, this is really hard. I don't want to do this anymore. I need a break. And I'm not saying you don't need breaks. I'm just saying that you have this attitude where it's like, yes, I want to serve God. And then the, the truth of the reality of ministry is difficult. It is a spiritual battle. It is spiritual warfare. One of the things they don't teach you before you become a pastor is you're going to fight Satan the rest of your life for people. Or you're going to fight people who have Satan in them. It's, it's, it's some demoniac somewhere. In the midst of a ministry journey with the Apostle Paul and his uncle Barnabas, John Mark got overwhelmed and quit. And this ticked Paul off and caused a split between Barnabas and himself. Now Barnabas went after John Mark and Paul continued on in his ministry. And Barnabas spent the next several years rebuilding Mark's faith to the point that when the Apostle Paul was imprisoned and about to die, he said to Barnabas, send me John Mark who's profitable to me in the ministry. So he was restored back into ministry. That's a good story. That, that worked out, um, but in the story comes out with, with a positive, but it came at a great cost. I never want to be that guy that causes problems between pastors. I'm going to say that one more time because I don't think you got that. I never want to be that guy who causes fights between pastors. I never want to be that guy that discourages unity in the work of the ministry. Because Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that unity is the way the world knows that Jesus Christ came. Yeah. It impacts the gospel when you sow discord in the church. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I never want to be that guy that because of my immaturity dis detours an opportunity. 
because I either get in too early or I get out too quick. I never want to be that guy that because of my fear causes others to fight. This story turned out good because John Mark humbled himself. But it rarely turns out that way. Most of the time, we get the opposite. They fall away. I don't want to be that guy. And finally, and you should be happy. I never want to be a Demas. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas used to be in ministry, but now he was not. And he didn't just walk away from the ministry. He walked away from a time when the Apostle Paul needed him the most. He deserted me. I needed his ministry. I needed his help. I needed his love. I needed his compassion. I needed his care, but he left me. Paul was already facing great discouragement. He didn't need any more. I've used this term before, and I don't think everybody gets it, but I, I never want to be a used to. I used to. I used to read my Bible all the time. And now I don't. I used to pray passionately, and now I don't. I used to go to church faithfully, and now I don't. I'm a used to. I used to serve God, but now I don't. I'm a used to. I used to sacrifice financially. Now I don't. I'm just saying, I don't want to be that guy. You might want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that used to be a pastor. That's why I believe you can't run away from it. Once, you're, once God's anointed you, you, you can go wherever you want to go, but you're still called to that, that anointing. See, there's a deep reason why I don't want to be a Demas. Because Paul said, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, the scripture says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christ is not in him. That scares me. That somebody could serve in a church and serve, act like they're a follower of Jesus Christ and then say, I'm not interested anymore. I'm going back out to the world. I'm just going to live in the world because it's happier there. It's better there for me. Which speaks to Demas's eternal state. First John 2.19 says, They went out from us, for, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have continued, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It becomes plain. It's talking about apostate Christians. Christians who claim to be Christians but aren't really Christians. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. If you 
or somebody that you know can serve God at one point in time and walk away and not feel conviction of their sin and just go live in the world, the word was never indwelling them. They were just a church attender. And here's the verse that scares me more than any verse in the whole Bible. It's Matthew 7.22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then Jesus says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You that work lawlessness. Sorry, King James. See, you said you knew me, but Jesus says, but I never knew you. There was no indwelling spirit in you that came from Jesus to to connect you two together. And it scares me that, like, I could be the other guys and still be a believer in Jesus Christ, but I can't be that. And I don't want to stand before God one day because that's going to happen. We're all going to stand before him and say to him, yeah, but Jesus, I knew you. But he says, but I didn't know you. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that stands before God and says, well, yeah, but I went to church and I read my Bible and I prayed and I did all these things. Yeah, but you never knew me, Jesus said. You never had a relationship with me. Is it just me or would that be a horrible day? Now, I believe that there are more heroes of the faith than there are hindrances to the faith. So I said that whole sermon to say that I think there's more good than bad. I think there's more no's who obey the word of God by faith than we want to admit. I think there's more Moseses who will lead in the midst of difficulty no matter what their age. I believe there are more Joshua's who will take the next generation and lead them to greater things. I believe there are more David's, although treated unfairly, will not lay their hand upon the Lord's anointed. I believe there are more Peters who are imperfect in what they say or do, but are, in the, rock in which, are, are the rock on which the church is built. And I believe there are more Pauls who one time fought the church who will fight for the church. I want to be those guys. I want to be one of those guys. I want to be one of those guys that when the Bible speaks of them, they speak of great faith and great patience and great grace and great love and great passion and great compassion. Let me make this a little clearer so I can tell you what kind of guy I personally want to be. I want to be Gideon. I want to turn a nation around that's worshiping false gods. And I want to cut down their idols. So if you're looking for a kinder, gentler message, this is probably not the place for you. Because I'm cutting idols down. Those of you that are worshiping a false god, I'm, I'm going to attack your false gods. Because there's one true God. 
I want to see sin sacrificed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on top of the idols that are left. I want to see people getting saved. I want to see them trusting Christ as their Savior and having their lives transformed by the Spirit of God that indwells them. I don't care if I lead a big church or a small church who have nothing, but if, I'll take a small church if, they have, if the people have nothing but faith in God to defeat a culture that is starving our people. This culture is starving people. And you say, what can you do? You're just a pastor of a tiny church. Yes, I can take 300 and defeat 120,000. There's only 30,000 in this community. That means we can do it with 30 people. That's the guy I want to be. I want to lead people to stand on a battlefield with nothing but a shout of faith and the sword of the word of God. You got no skill. You got no ability. You just got a shout of faith and the sword of the word of God. I got the word of God and I got praise. That's all I got. That's all I need. Am I the only one that wants to be that guy? I want to put the sins of this nation on the run until we slay all the enemies of God. Because that's the story of Gideon. But I don't want to be the guy that stands in God's way. What guy are you? What guy are you? Or what gal are you? I want the women to all say, well, he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> and I just about called you Jezebel, and I didn't mean it in that way. <laughs> what guy do you want to be? How do you want to be remembered in history? Do you want to be the guy that nobody wants to be? This book is full of guys that nobody wants to be then why be that guy? And worst of all, do you want to be that guy who, who when you get to heaven, Jesus says, I don't know you. Do you want to be that guy? Do you want to be that gal? But I've done all these great things in his name. Yeah, but he doesn't know you. You don't have an intimate relationship with him. You're not one with him. That's what no means. It's two becoming one. What guy am I? What guy am I? Let's stand. What guy am I? This was not meant to tear you down or to beat you up or to hurt anybody. This is just the truth of the word of God that sometimes there are people even in the church who are the kind of guy that you don't want to be. You didn't, didn't intend to be that guy, but nobody ever called you out. Nobody ever said, this is what that guy looks like. So you, now you have to make the choice, do I repent of that being that guy? Or do I stay that guy? Many of you are really good, godly Christians. 
But you can easily slip into being that guy, just being around the wrong kind of people. Just get invited to a house and have roast pastor. It happens a lot. And I don't want to be that guy where that's recorded in heaven. Don't you want to be that guy that turns your community upside down for Jesus Christ? Don't you want to be that guy that's remembered for being faithful? Don't you want to be the son of encouragement or the son of consolation or the daughter of consolation? You can choose what guy you are. But you've got to repent if you're one of these guys. I think that's what the battle was for this week. I think that's why I wrestled so much because maybe like Moses, I want this more for you than maybe some of you even want for yourselves. I don't want you to be that guy. I don't want you to be that guy that sticks God off. I don't want you to be that guy that gets up to heaven and says, but I did all these things. And he says, yeah, but you never knew me. Let's pray. Father, you give us your word to teach us who we are and who you desire us to be. And I believe that in this room you want to see more Gideons than Ahabs. I believe in this room there are more Barnabases than there are John Marks. But we have to be careful, Father, that we don't get swayed by false teachers, false believers, Jezebels who make pastors want to quit. And some want to just end their life because it'd be just better. So, Father, I also want to pray for the men of God in, the, in this room who have fought for people and sacrificed for people and served people faithfully and diligently, even in the midst of Korahs and Ahabs and Judases and Demases. And have just kept on trusting you and kept on serving you. But I also pray for the pastors who are like Elijah. Who just, they've never been the same since they've experienced the negative. Give them grace. Pour your love out on them for the love that they poured out for your people. And let those who have caused that kind of hurt to men of God repent of their sin that you've seen because they've been that guy. Father, I am not a perfect pastor and these people who have been with me any length of time know that. 
But before I became a man of God, I was not one of those guys. You know my story. You know my history. You know my faithfulness. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that I've not been those guys. But I can if I'm not careful. So help me, Father, to not get bitter against bad actors. Help me to not lose hope when the haters show up. Because I believe there is a war that's about to break loose on earth that is spiritual in nature, that is not physical. It is spiritual in nature. And it's going to need some warriors who will stand up and lead even the smallest of of groups to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that is fighting it. I love you, Jesus. Because you took someone as messed up as me and called me into ministry. Though like Gideon, I have nothing and I am nothing. I just believe you. And that's what these people are today. I believe they just believe you. Encourage our hearts today, Lord God. Jesus, we pray. Please, one last time with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're that guy, now's the time to confess it. Father, I've been a Judas. Father, I've been a Demas. Father, I've been... Why? Because it's fresh. I've been an Ahab. Or maybe some of you as pastors have experienced that, or pastors' wives, you've experienced that. I just want to say I'm sorry. Why don't you come pray for some healing? Maybe if you're holding some bitterness in your heart towards somebody, some Jezebel, you need to forgive them. This is not a fun altar call because no one wants to be that guy who comes up and says, I've had aught against my pastor. I've judged unfairly. I've judged unrightly. Nobody wants to be that guy, but why not? Let that be part of your story. Like John Mark humbled himself and became profitable to the ministry. And while this wasn't a gospel message, it really is about the gospel. Because if you can see that we love one another and we care for one another, John 17 tells us, Jesus tells us, that you can believe in him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you need to settle things with God today, just come ahead. Come ahead. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal.
don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal. Maybe you know of somebody who's been that guy or that gal. Why don't you come pray for them? Come on. You can't tell me you haven't had that happen in Christianity. Maybe you've agreed with them instead of rebuking them. Judas needed a rebuke. But the disciples said not a word. Father, it is not my job to move them. It is yours. Whatever your spirit is saying to them is between you and them. But I pray that they don't, you don't destroy them. That's been my prayer all week long. I pray that they can see that the men of God that God has put in their life are there because we're trying to help, guide, protect, lead. Even when it sounds like sermons like today that just don't seem as fun as we want them to be. I'll let you do your work, Father. I love this congregation. I love these people. I love this community. I love what you're doing. If there's one in the room that cannot guarantee that when that their sins will be forgiven by Jesus, encourage them to come and ask us the question. We want them to come. How can they know for sure that Christ is their Savior. I hope they see in us the unity of spirit, the oneness. We want to be the guys in the Bible that are remembered for the good godly things. That they can see Christ in us. Bring them to us, Father. We love you. Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, I have no announcements for you because I don't have the list. So if there's something going on, I have no idea what it is. If you have an offering, you can give it online. There's four ways to give. They'll put that on the wall maybe. We need you to trust God. Can you do that today? Four ways to give. Trust God with your finances. Trust, trust God and God's work with, our, with your finances. One last prayer. Father, I love them. Encourage their hearts, Lord. Thank you for their children for being here today. We just pray that they draw closer to you.